Welcome to the Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast. I'm your host, Evan Uitake, and I'm so excited that you've tuned in. Here at the Young Businessmen of Tulsa, our mission is focused on connecting, developing, and inspiring young business leaders to find and pursue their passion. Today, you get to listen to our monthly luncheon keynote from an experienced and practical business leader in our area. This podcast is sponsored by Trost Marketing. Promoting your business through marketing is essential for growth. Without marketing, you lack the ability to create a conversation with your potential customers. At Trost Marketing, we provide marketing solutions that fuel growth. We are your source for all of your printing needs, as well as branded apparel and promotional items. If your business wants to stand out to potential customers, contact the marketing experts at Trost Marketing. Visit us at trostmarketing.com or call us at 866-492-7820. Today's speaker is Sean Copeland, the chairman and CEO of Region Bank, a small business owner, investor, and popular author and speaker. Copeland has authored three best-selling books, including 12 Life Lessons Every Graduate Should Know, The Priority Promise, and his most recent, The Abundance Mentality, an Amazon.com bestseller. On April 1st, 2008, Copeland fulfilled a lifelong dream by leading an investor group that purchased 110-year-old Region Bank. Since that time, the bank has expanded to Tulsa and Oklahoma City, tripling in size from $72 million in assets to over $300 million in challenging economic times. Regent Bank has been named the Oklahoma Small Business Financial Services Champion by the Small Business Administration, and Sean was recently named the Central U.S. Community Banker of the Year by the ICBA. Copeland's many awards include Journal Records Most Admired CEO, his fraternity's top National Alumni Award, Citizen of the Year in Bixby, and being named to Oklahoma Magazine's and Tulsa Business Journal's Top 40 Under 40 list. Let's listen to Sean's story and his message to young businessmen. Good afternoon, everybody. Man, this is a big crowd. Holy moly. You guys, I think you're eclipsing our executive luncheon series crowd. But I am looking around. I see my friends in the crowd, so I know that the bar is very low uh, to be able to make it in. So I see you all. I remember, it wasn't uh, very long ago that I remember sitting down with Evan and Ricky and Matt talking about starting Young Businessmen of Tulsa. We were in our executive conference room. These guys were super excited, uh, and it is fantastic to see it come to reality. Um, My speech to you completely changed uh, during my quiet time at 4 a.m. this morning. I had one uh, speech set out that I was uh, excited to share with you, and God told me to share something totally different. So here's what I want to tell you uh, today. I want to share with you a little bit about my uh, story, and I want to share with you what God has shown me along the way. And so uh, this may not be as uh, produced as some speeches that you will hear, but I hope that it is meaningful uh, to you. So let me go back to, uh, I grew up on a farm in Beggs, Oklahoma, 251st Street South, and my grandfather and father were both uh, ranchers. Uh, We raised Hereford cattle. My father still, that's what he does uh, full time. And it was the spring of 1995, and uh, I had gone home to help him work cattle uh, on the farm. And during the, while we were working, he was at the front end of the animal. I was the junior member of the team, so I was at the back end. Uh, Those of you from a farm know what that means. And so we're working them, and I think I was branding uh, at the time. It was real loud, and my dad informed me that I needed to get a job. 
And I told him I didn't understand because I uh, had a job and I was going to be coming back to the ranch to work uh, after college. And he informed me that no, uh, I didn't have a job and that because we were going through uh, financial challenges, um, he didn't think there was enough room for me on the farm and I really needed to go uh, do something else. So I returned back to Stillwater and I, I had one semester uh, before I graduated. It was the spring semester, I had the summer, and then I would graduate, hopefully, uh, in the fall. And I was a student leader when I was there, and we had a dinner that following Tuesday evening in the Student Union Ballroom. And Dr. Jim Halligan was our president at the time, and he would always invite students to attend uh, the adult uh, functions. And so there were uh, six of us sitting at a table just like these. I mean, literally just like them. And so uh, I was real nervous, and we were, we were sitting around talking, and Dr. Halligan said, you know, Sean, I never have asked you uh, this question, but what are you gonna do when you graduate from college? And it was me and him and three members of the Board of Regents um, at this table. And I was too embarrassed to say I didn't know, because the truth was I didn't know. My uh, dad had just changed my career plans 48 hours earlier. And so I was like, oh my gosh, I need to come up with something uh, really fast. And so I looked to my left, and there was a gentleman sitting there, and he had a nameplate, and it said Bruce Benbrook, Stock Exchange Bank, Woodward, Oklahoma. And I thought, well, banking sounds good. That'll work. <laughs> and so I said, you know, I said, I've actually been thinking about going into banking. And all the people around the table uh, said, oh my gosh, we, we had no idea. We didn't know that. And I said, oh yeah. I said, it's a very recent uh, career decision. <laughs> and it was. It was about 10 seconds old. And they started asking me all these questions about banking. And so I make everything up. I, mean, I bluff my way through the whole what position in a bank. Well, I just thought they were bankers. I didn't really know you had positions. So I said, loan officer. Well, what kind of bank? I don't know, community bank, you know, I mean, what, I mean, all these types of things. And so when we leave, as we're leaving that uh, dinner, Dr. Halligan and I are walking out together, and he says, uh, you know, Sean, I really didn't know that you were going into banking. He said, I've got a good friend that owns a group of banks in Oklahoma City. Maybe I can help you get an internship. And I said, man, I would love that. I said, I really, I needed a job, you know, bad. Um, I had heard banks were air conditioned as opposed to the <laughs> Copeland Farm. And so I said, I would love that. And he helped me get an internship uh, at MidFirst Bank, and that's where I began my career. I loved it, it clicked. I had been there about a year and got a phone call from a, a friend of mine who owned a small community bank, almost exactly the size of Regent Bank when we purchased it in El Reno. And at the age of 24, I was a bank president um, and have been um, ever since that time. Now about, um, I guess it would be about eight years ago now, I was 30, at the age of 34, um, I had an opportunity to purchase a bank. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to weave this all together and tell you uh, God's involvement in all these in just a moment. So at the age of 34, I am president of a, of a local bank here in town, and, and my friend B.C. Lee from Nowata, Oklahoma, calls me up and, and says that he needs to talk. He had just lost his bank president and needed to hire another one. 
And as we were talking, the, the bank had been struggling. It wasn't his passion. I knew a lot about it. Um, in banking, all your numbers are public. So you can go to FDIC.gov right now and see every number on every bank in the world. So there are no secrets. And so we all know how each other are doing. We know who's doing well, who's not. Uh, there's no, you can't do the happy handshake when you're staking it up because everybody knows at the bankers meetings that you're not doing too hot. Well, I knew he had been struggling. So during the conversation, I don't know why um, I said this, I, I said, you know, BC, I said, you really ought to do something that you are passionate about. I said, have you ever thought about selling the bank and doing something else? Because it's a, it was a situation where he, he had uh, inherited the bank. He was a third generation um, in the bank, and he didn't go up there very much, and it was a passive investment, and it just, it just wasn't his passion. And initially, he said, no. He said, uh, I can't do that. It's been in our family since the 1940s. But, um, but if you think of somebody that would be a good president, please let me know. So I said, okay. And about two weeks later, he called me and said, you know, I've been talking to my uh, sister. We've been praying about what you said, and I think that you're right. I think that it's time for us to sell the bank, and we would like to sell it to you. Well, that wasn't at all what I was intending. I just thought it would be a good idea uh, for him to do something that he enjoyed. And so I went home. My wife is, um, uh, like many of your wives and ladies, uh, she is very logical, uh, rational, and conservative, okay? I have always been the uh, deal junkie of the family. I am a risk taker, uh, so far so good, but she has always been the grounded one uh, in our family. So I thought, oh my God, this is gonna be interesting. So I get home, and we're at dinner, at, they're at home, which is really consisting of three children running around wildly and something out of the microwave. So we're standing up eating and trying to herd the kids. And I said, hey, I said, uh, I had an interesting conversation today and I, and I told her about it. And I said, you know, what do you think about us uh, buying a bank? And then I braced for the shrapnel, which I figured was going to then come. And she said, you know, that is so interesting. She said, I had a dream two nights ago that we would buy a bank. And I said, really? And she said, yes. She said, I think it's time. Uh, let's do it. So I fell down, had a heart attack, got back up, and began. we began negotiating uh, the bank sale, made the deal in August of 2007, uh, was able to raise in about a month uh, about $16 million in capital, uh, purchased the bank. We went through a horrendous time. Now I want you to think about, we closed on the bank, we actually bought the bank on April the 1st of 2008, okay? So I don't realize what's coming. Literally, this is no joke, and some of you have heard me say this, I am not exaggerating. If you look at a GDP graph for the United States of America, it is positive, 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 April of 2008, negative, negative, negative. I mean, literally the moment that we buy the bank, everything turned and went in the other direction. So what? So I had about probably 60 days of um, just bliss. I mean, it was that was my dream. I remember, I I I, uh, I was reading in Scripture where God says, you know, tell me the wishes of your heart. You know, 
tell me your dreams. Tell me you know, what you want. And Angela and I had been on a, a three-day weekend in Eureka Springs, and I remember sitting in a little cabin on Beaver Lake, and I was, and I thought, okay, God, you tell me to do this, so I'm gonna, and I wrote down, this was years earlier, I wrote down, I would love to own a bank. But the chances of this happening are one in a million's probably too low, because what happens is, number one, the chance of our regulators approving a 34-year-old to buy a bank is extremely low. Number two, anytime a bank sells, they typically call bank first, our best, mid first, be okay. They get the first shot, you know, on every one of the deals and they just have much more capital, you know, than everybody else. And so the chances, I mean, how would that ever happen? So for about two months, I am just in awe of how all this went down and the fact we were able to raise the capital and my dream had come true and then immediately reality hits and uh, the the stock market is spiraling out of control we have already purchased a bank that is struggling loans go bad we are losing money month after month after month for 10 straight months i mean literally i i distinctly remember the moment that I was driving home one day and I thought, I don't even know if I can remember what it's like to make a positive net income in this business. I mean, I just couldn't. It was just so far away that I didn't think we could ever even make, be in the black um, again uh, in our lives. Very, very difficult. So we get to February of 2009. And I am fairly certain uh, that we are not going to survive. And I have been working uh, 18 to 20 hours a day, every day for 10 months. And, I, and I, I'm unable to attract the employees that I hope to attract when I purchased the bank because we were in trouble. And all the numbers are public, as I mentioned earlier. So everybody's looking at us and going, well, there's no way I'm jumping on that sinking ship, you know? And so it is an extremely lonely feeling. So it was the third Sunday of 2009 and I was in church, and I teach our adult Sunday school class, and, and we had gone out, we got to talking, and we got out late, and we have a, we're in a, it's a small community church, and so we don't have a lot of seats, and it was full uh, that day. And so I ended up sitting on the front row, and we were singing a song called Healer. And many of you I know would be familiar with this, but it, it says, I believe you're my healer, I believe you're more than enough for me. And I broke down at that moment. I began to cry. I couldn't stop crying. I um, didn't know if I really believed that or not. But what I knew was what I had been doing wasn't working. Nothing that I could do seemed to help. In fact, every day seemed to just get worse and worse and worse. And so I, um, I cried out to God that day on the front row in front of the church in which I am an elder and one of the founders to just help me. And I remember telling him, I said, I said God, if you don't, you're the only thing that's going to uh, help this bank survive. I give up. 
I can't, there's nothing I can do, there's no more I can do, I've done everything I know to do. If we're going to be saved, it's going to be because of you. And it's important to understand here that of the $16 million that we raised, a good chunk of it was money that we had saved. And I truly can tell you today, I didn't care about that. I knew we could recover. We're young. You know, that didn't worry me. What worried me is all the friends and family and clients that had put all kinds of money betting on me. I mean, it was... A very difficult time so we go home and it's the next the following Tuesday so two days later after I've had this experience and we are going to send out letters to our 80 shareholders saying dear shareholder I'm really sorry I know I suck as a CEO I know you've seen the last 10 months of really bad performance but I promise if you'll just invest $3 million is what it was. If you would invest $3 million, uh, roughly $45,000, $50,000 a piece, I promise we can get this thing turned around. And the fact that I was having to send this letter was the equivalent of failure. I mean, I had gotten to a point that I couldn't do it on my own. I had all this capital. I had blown through it. Um, it was uh, embarrassing, to say the least. So our corporate secretary, I'm up at the bank in Nowata. And our corporate secretary is walking out the door with this tray of letters. And I am standing next to the receptionist, and as Sandy's walking out the door, and I feel like I'm going to throw up because the last thing I want to do is send these letters, this, the phone rings at the receptionist's desk. And Arlene, who was our receptionist at the time, says, Sean, you have a phone call from the U.S. Treasury Department. <laughs> And I said, Sandy, I said, hold on. I said, don't send the, don't send the letters because I said, it may be, this may be it. It may be too late. So I make the longest walk in the history of mankind into my office there in Nowata and I pick up the phone, I hit the, the line and I pick it up and this lady on the other uh, line says, uh, Mr. Copeland, my name is Lisa Taylor. Uh, I'm with the U.S. Treasury Department, and I don't know if you would be interested in this or not, but you have been chosen as one of our banks for our capital purchase program, and we want to invest $3 million into your bank. True story. I am not making that. Not one bit of this am I making up. And that's what, and praise God, is exactly right. And that's what we needed. And so... And that's, and that's all it took. That, that capital injection was what it needed for us to clean up the balance sheet. And today, uh, as you have seen, uh, it's been a good run. We've uh, quintupled now in uh, six years, uh, won about every award known to mankind. Now we're the banking geniuses. Back then, uh, I was the village leper that no one would touch <laughs> nor uh, look at. So it was really, uh, it was an amazing experience for me. Let me tell you one more story and then I want to tell you the, the I'm actually going to tell you four things that I believe God has taught me and then I'll, I'll uh, close here. Um, about a year ago, I began to, I, I believe the key to all of our lives is abiding daily with Jesus Christ. I believe it. John and I, were, we, he's in a journey group with me and some of these other guys I've been to. 
And people will ask, you know, what are your goals? What's your vision? What are the things you want to achieve? I don't have those anymore. I don't have those. I want to do day by day what he wants me uh, to do. Well, I began to, during my quiet time, when I was driving, uh, when I'm in church, I began to get this distinct feeling that I needed to start a devotional with my staff at the bank. And I was petrified of this. I mean, for a number of reasons. Number one, I figured I'd probably get sued, you know, by somebody for doing it. Number two, um, I didn't want to put myself out there like I'm holier than thou. I mean, they're in a human being in this room that has more flaws than the speaker. So I wasn't really excited about jumping out there and saying, hey, follow me. But it was not going away. It would not go away. For six months, I talked to my exec team about it. They were scared. Oh my gosh, we might get sued. And I'm like, guys, it's, it's not going away. So among the scariest moments of my life was when I stood up in our bank-wide employee meeting and I said, okay, next, uh, guys, uh, next, starting uh, tomorrow, in fact, uh, at 8.15, we're gonna start an optional, it's optional, you know, you don't have to attend, please don't sue me, an optional uh, daily devotional. And every day at 8.15, uh, you can call into this number and blah, 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 here's how it's all gonna work. And the very next day, I, I I call in, I'm nervous. Is anybody gonna call? You know, I thought oh, it might just be me, but I knew I had, I had found a couple of the other people in Tulsa to come in, so I knew there'd at least be three of us. So I call in and there's nobody on the line. And I'm like, what in the world? For six months I've been fighting this thing and, and there's nobody on the line? Well, I had given them the wrong number when I sent out the, <laughs> I sent out the uh, announcement. Uh, it was the wrong number. So they're all texting me, go, we're trying to call in. What's the deal? And so the next day we had a lot of people. But this has uh, grown into hundreds of people every day calling uh, into this number. So let me tell you what I, what I believe that I have learned. Um, number one, I think I have proven here that we are not in control, God is in control. We think we are in control. We have these illusions that we are in control. That experience that I had back in 08 and 09, I mean, I, all my buddies, all my knowledge, all my hard work, none of it helped. I mean, none of it. It took God to, to save us. And so we, we have to remember that, and I don't need to expand on that. Number two, I think life is really lived on the skinny branches. I think life is lived on the edge of our comfort zone, okay? I think when, when we're given a, a vision or a, a leaning to, that stretches us, that's when you gotta go. You gotta go. And we're all afraid of failure. And we're all afraid of looking bad. And you know what? People aren't looking at you as much as they think, as you think. They're looking at themselves. They're focused on their own lives. You know, they're not sitting around. I mean, I have clients uh, who have been to the depths and back. And, and they are the better for it. I remember the day I sat in one of my very first uh, discipleship group meetings, or journey meetings, and everybody went around and talked about when they were closest to God, and it was when they were going through the most challenging times of their lives. That's when he prunes us. That's when he grows us and brings us closer to him. So, so 
step out. I, I just in reflecting, and God showed me this this morning. I mean, whether it was starting a church, starting a nonprofit, writing the books, buying a bank, uh, starting the devotional, uh, starting our faith and business series, leading a journey group, going on a mission trip to Brazil. I mean, whatever the things were that seemed to scare me the most have been the things that are the most um, amazing parts of my life. So let's don't play it safe. Let's don't spend our whole life uh, playing it safe. Number three, I think we need to focus on giving. When I mentioned the Dr. Halligan story and how he changed my life, and I just want you to think about that moment, okay? Here's a little farm boy from Beggs who cannot help him in any way, okay? There's nothing I could do to help him. We didn't have any political power. We didn't have any money. I mean, there wasn't anything. And he reached out and helped me get that internship. We all have that ability, but we have to focus on the other person and not on ourselves. You know, I, a lot of times people will call, we, we're gonna grow 40% this year in an industry where the average is two. And so we're getting calls all over the country. Our numbers just came out and everybody's going, how do you do it? What's the secret? What's the secret? There is no, there is no secret. There, there is no secret. But the answer is, don't sell, give. Okay, you meet a prospect, you meet somebody you wanna do business with, help them. Figure out how to help them. What can you do to sow into their business and in their life? You don't even have to ask them to do business with you. They will just want to do business with you because nobody else has done that for them. With your employees, I mean, I was thinking about, we have, and I just wanna give you some real quick ideas here, and I've got one more point I'll close. But we have parties every time we grow by 50 million in assets. Big parties. Um, free snacks and drinks, an employee benevolence fund, a stakeholders program where they participate in our, um, as we create uh, wealth. Complete transparency, they know all of our numbers, top to bottom, there are no secrets uh, with anybody in our organization. An employee stock program, uh, clients, we give the executive luncheon series, faith and business, region insider, daily devotional. I mean, it's all about giving. So we don't sit around anymore and think about, okay, how do we target and how do we, um, go after this niche, you know, or whatever. We just go, how do we give? Let's spend our time brainstorming on how can we help? What can we do that's unique uh, to help others? And then finally, I think we have to redefine failure. Okay, I mentioned this earlier, but I put together, I was working on, and this is what my whole talk to you was going to be about, but I just want to take one minute on it. When you look throughout history, and you look at the people that have been the most significant. They have all failed, many of them multiple times. We're all familiar with many of, you know, with Abraham Lincoln and Michael Jordan uh, got kicked off the basketball team, you know, and all those types of things. But there are a ton of them. Henry Ford, his first five businesses went under. Colonel Sanders was rejected 1,009 times for his recipe. Thomas Edison took him 10,000 times to uh, figure out the light bulb. Uh, Disney got fired because he, he lacked imagination and had no good ideas. Albert Einstein was expelled from school and not accepted into college. I mean, there are tons of these. Oprah Winfrey was fired as a TV reporter because she was unfit for TV. J.K. Rowling, uh, the, the uh, Harry Potter lady, was on welfare for years and living in her car. I mean, 
All of these people have overcome tremendous odds. Failure is just a, a try that didn't work out and we learn from it and we move on. It's not final, but we get so wrapped up in, I don't want to try something because I'm going to fail. Try it. It's okay. I have a lot of, my best clients, most of them have filed bankruptcy. I mean, almost because they tried something and it didn't work out. They didn't do anything crooked, you know. They didn't defraud anybody. They're in business. It, it's challenging. And so it's amazing what we can do if we try. So I'm going to leave you with this. It's about our legacy. Okay? At the end of the day, what are you going to leave here when it's all said and done? It's not about the dollars. It's not about the house. It's about your legacy. So let me leave you with this and I'll close. God won't ask the square footage of your house, but he will ask how many people you welcomed into your home. God won't ask about the clothes you had in your closet, but he will ask how many people you helped to clothe. God won't ask what your highest salary was, but he will ask if you compromised your character to obtain it. God won't ask what your job title was, but he will ask if you performed your job to the best of your ability. God won't ask how many friends you had, but he'll ask to how many people you were a friend. God won't ask in what neighborhood you live, but he will ask how you treated your neighbors. And God won't ask about the color of your skin, but he'll ask about the content of your character. So my wish for all of us is that we will take it to the next level. When God calls us to do something, do it. There's a reason he is putting that thought in your heart. This organization is making a substantial difference. I'm proud to be here. Thank you for your time. Young businessmen, thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. And if you'd like to learn more about the Young Businessmen of Tulsa, check out our website at www.ybtok.com or email us at ybtoklahoma at gmail.com. If you live in the Tulsa area and would like to hear one of our great speakers live at our monthly luncheon, we meet on the second Monday of every month from 12 to 1 p.m. Like us on Facebook for details about locations and upcoming speakers. Lastly, if you like what you hear, please leave us a review on iTunes and share us with your friends. Thank you for tuning in to the Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast, where we connect, develop, and inspire young businessmen to find and pursue their purpose.